can't stop. This is the Sports Aid Vault with me, Tom Gale. And me, Dominic Mensa. And we're excited to welcome you to an Olympic special of the podcast. So me and Dom have been privileged to be joined by some stellar guests so far on the Sports Aid Vault, three of whom will be competing in Tokyo 2020. Footballer Lotta Wubin-Moy, triathlete Alex Yee, and Paris swimmer Louise Fiddies and Dom. I've got one hell of a stat for you, my man. 61% of Team GB Olympians out in Japan right now, which does include travelling reserves, have been supported by Sports Aid in their career. So that's roughly two out of three athletes. Even more precisely, 242 of the total 398 squad members are Sports Aid recipients. Wow. So as Don mentioned, this is our Olympic special. We know reaching an Olympic or Paralympic Games is often considered to be the ultimate goal for many athletes, the chance to live out a lifelong dream. 100%. And that stat is just unbelievable, you know, and it just... You know, crystallizes the amazing work sports aid, you know, do for athletes. So long may it continue. As a as a you know, a fellow Team GB athlete myself, even though I probably won't be an Olympian, unfortunately, I can only imagine how buzzing everybody is to be out there. And there's so many positive um, you know, experiences, both obviously on the playing field and off the playing field for all the athletes to experience and so many challenges that are going to be along the way. So with that, we've decided to focus specifically on sports psychology and the mind because a big, big part of sport is the mental side as well as the physical side. So we're going to be looking at how you mentally prepare for a major competition like the Olympics, how you'll handle the ups and downs that it will bring, and also how your mind as well as your body can take you all the way to the podium. So joining us for the Olympic special today are Nakoda Davies and Chris Shambrick. Nakoda is a British judoka who represented Team GB at Rio 2016 Olympic Games in the 57 kilogram category. She won her first senior medal in 2014, gold at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. And along with a number of podium finishes at Grand Prix and Grand Slam events around the world, Nakoda won back-to-back World Judo Championship individual medals, bronze in 2017 and silver in 2018. The reason Nakoda is with us on the pod and not out in Japan is because she decided to withdraw from the selection process for Tokyo this summer in order to aid her rehabilitation from a concussion injury. As for Chris, he's a sports psychologist who's been working in the world of high performance for over 15 years. He was a consultant for the Great Britain rowing team from 1997. His first Olympics with the squad was Sydney in 2000, and he's played a key role in the Team GB rowing successes at the Games in Athens, Beijing, London, and Rio. Chris is also an honorary professor at Staffordshire University and works closely with Sports Aid through the charity's partnership with Believe Perform. Okay, so Dom, unfortunately, you weren't with us when I recorded the conversation with Nakoda and Chris. You couldn't make it. You were tied up. You were busy. Come on, hit me. What was the excuse? He better be good. <laughs> I hope it is good. I'm going to tell you. So <laughs> it's been quite a sort of hectic month. Um, in the past couple of months, I finished uni, finished that big dissertation, and I actually just graduated yesterday from uh, St. Mary's University, Twickenham, with a 2-1 degree in sports communication and marketing. So a really, really proud day for me and my family. You know, my cheekbones are still um, swelled up from all the smiling, and all the pictures, but it was, you know, a beautiful day that I'll remember, you know, forever. And obviously preparing for that, um, I've still had to keep up with, you know, my internship, training, also preparing for my 21st birthday on the weekend as well. So it's been an absolute whirlwind, but it's always good to keep busy. So sorry I couldn't make it, Tom. Well, 
<laughs> no, well, well, first and foremost, we, the Sports Able, are very proud of you. Congratulations. And I think attending your graduation, if we're looking at acceptable excuses, I think we can we can cut you some slack on that one. But as you as we've outlined, this is about sports psychology and the key role that plays in athletes' performance. What's your experience of, if any, of working with a sports psychologist? Um, it's always been very positive. I think even me as um, a gymnast, as an athlete, um, I've always been quite a positive person, always been aware of how important the mental side is. But, you know, through my sort of work with sports psychologists, through a company called TAS and obviously SportsAid as well, who are both um, very much interconnected, um, you know, working with a sports psychologist, even if you're the most positive athlete, is always going to give you those small percents. And whenever you do run into those hurdles, if your mind is trained to be able to get over those hurdles, your body will always follow. So, you know, I'm a big supporter of sports psychology, you know, and I recommend it to all athletes that can that can access it. So let's talk to Nakoda Davies and Chris Shambrook for this Olympic special of the Sports Aid Vault. Nakoda, first bit of business. Congratulations. 35 weeks pregnant. <laughs> How are you feeling? <laughs> um i'm feeling all right um it's it's definitely a challenge towards the end um i mean nothing like training soreness but you know it's not far off in terms of like how your body feels so um yeah yeah i'm i'm feeling good but i'm 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 really willing the end on now of course of course each pregnancy to their own but you as an elite athlete have you used any of that you know your sort of your upbringing and your professional life as as an athlete has that helped you with the pregnancy do you feel um yeah definitely um in the beginning I just thought you know I'm just going to roll with it it's my first time I don't know what to expect um and I was very active in the first half of the pregnancy um but then I just hit a point where that didn't feel good anymore and um I just listened to my body I just um stopped doing as much um and just tried to focus more on um you know problem areas and yoga and things um so yeah and and I think as well it's quite nice because you know, when you work towards something like the Olympics or a major event, you always have that like 10 week block, you know, and you know what you're doing each week. And it's kind of the same with pregnancy. Like, you know, you're working towards a date. I mean, it might not be the exact date that they come on, but, you know, you're working towards a date and you can kind of count down the weeks that way. Um, so I would say I definitely have the same same mentality in my pregnancy as I, as I would do in my elite sport life as well. Thank you. Well, all the best, providing, fingers crossed, we don't have any emergency panics <laughs> during this episode recording and the pregnancy goes very smoothly. And we'll look to catching up with you about the next chapter um, at a later date. But first and foremost, we are here to talk about Tokyo 2020. As listeners are fully aware, it's 2021. We're in the midst of a pandemic. The Olympic Games are going ahead. At the time of recording, no medals have been awarded. So this is largely going to be focused on the feel of the games and athletes' expectations, but really drilling down into that mental aspect of it. So I'll start with you, Chris, there in terms of just what's your initial take on what is going to be a games like no other in terms of how mentally challenging it's going to be for Team GB and all the other nations. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's really interesting just looking at how we perceive that because I, I, you can start focusing on how big it's going to be, how different it's going to be, the challenge is enormous, and, and, and even our attitude towards the specific challenge starts to shape how we're likely to perform when we get there as well so you know um, I think there are some unique characteristics about this Olympics um, and I think the people who will 
manage the Olympic performances best will be the ones who deal with those as just a set of unique characteristics. They won't be thinking, this is really difficult, this is challenging. They'll just be working out, right, what's the best way of managing the fact that we have to be doing these daily PCR tests? We've, we've got limited ability to move around when we're actually sort of between training or between events, etc. So they'll just be looking at... Um, creating a game plan for these circumstances so try not to get too emotionally connected to the, the specifics but just being able to say how do we continue how do we do the stuff that we'd be doing anyway where are their points of familiarity and consistency and where can we get confidence and reassurance that hey it's like any other games and where can we minimize the distraction of some of those other things that could actually become an issue so you know i think it's like any other games it has its unique set of challenges and distractions but the important thing is you know a phrase i've always used is how can you be the consistent factor in a very inconsistent environment the olympics and sport will constantly throw up inconsistencies that can distract you and get you focused on them but they're not actually relevant to your ability to cash in on all of the brilliant foundation of training and preparation that you've done and and, and that's the challenge in tokyo like anywhere else it's just got you know, a, a whole set of circumstances that we wouldn't wish on anyone associated with it. Nakoda, if you can take us in inside the mindset of athletes who are out in Tokyo and will be competing for yourself at the start of 2021, it, it was clear you'd ruled yourself out of selection for your own reasons. So I guess for you, it was, I'm not going to be debating or having any anxiety about what these games feel like, but because you've continued to be in and around the judo setup, how has that evolved as sort of maybe some of the things there that Chris has touched upon in terms of, we've known for a while the games would be going ahead, but even up until the last few days, there's been a huge amount of doubt. How difficult has that been for judo athletes, but how you can speak on behalf of all the Olympians, do you feel? Yeah, um, um, like, like you said, it's it's been it's been weird kind of being alongside the athletes that are still going, um, but myself particularly being in a completely different headspace and a completely different situation. And um, to be honest, I can only really sympathise with what the athletes have had to go through um, since the pandemic started. But, you know, more recently, the recent challenges that they've had, you know, we've, we've judo itself has had a couple outbreaks of the, uh, the, the COVID and um, that's put a halt on some preparations on, on training camps. They actually couldn't go away on any training camps in the lead up to the Olympics, you know, which isn't, which isn't normal. Um, they've had to miss significant amount of training days, days where they've had to take, you know, um, all their kit back home and just do sessions from inside their houses um, in isolation um, it's been absolutely insane. It's been mental. And I think my job as someone who um, a lot of the athletes, um, you know, can look up to or at least be like, you know, what was it like you've been before, Nakoda? I've just been really positive around them. And I've just kind of, you know, um, tried to to keep them focused on on just getting there, the, the, the job at hand, getting there and, and doing as much as they can ultimately the things that are out of their control, there is no point stressing about and getting upset over. So let them have their, you know, a minute scream about it. And then it's kind of like, right, let's, let's see what we can do in this situation. And that's kind of been my job, you know, to their faces. But I think, um, you know, when I'm not with them and I'm sat thinking about it, there is a massive part of that part of me that's like, I'm so glad that I'm not 
you know, going through this because having been and done it before and, you know, knowing all the stresses you, you have anyway in the lead up to an Olympics, let alone what these guys are going through now, I just, I don't know if I could have done it. And I'm like, you guys are a lot stronger than I think I could have been in this time. And I think that's going to take them far in the competition. I think, you know, when they get there and they know everything that they've been through, they will just push through. Each fight will, will almost be easy because because of, of what they've been through to get there. So I think this is uh, one, of the, one, of, one of these Olympic Games where I think afterwards everyone's going to sigh a massive relief, going to have some rest. Um, but, yeah, they're going to be like, wow, if I've been through that and I can get through that, I can get through literally anything. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, been, it's been interesting. Can I jump in? Because it's really interesting listening to that because, you know, what, what, it, what it does just say is that the ability to be self-compassionate for the athletes at the moment, to kind of go, it's okay to feel how I'm feeling and reacting and responding to this situation. And it's okay for me to feel that because I know I'll then move on into taking action and getting my head around it. And that, that, that need for kind of self-compassion probably becomes a little bit more heightened in this set of circumstances. And, and just letting yourself have some thoughts and feelings that might not feel great, but then get them working with them and working through them. And, 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 and I think historically in sport, we've been kind of, we've suppressed some of that self-compassion bit. It's kind of been crack on, be resilient, move on. It's not so, but actually now is a little bit time for that, that humanity. This, this isn't the set of circumstances anyone would show that would have chosen but but so let's recognize that let's accept that and now let's kind of write together let's work through but how do we want to tell our story in this set of circumstances and and, and maybe use those feelings and and, and harness them so they, they just sparked off a great thought Nakoda, thing yeah 100 percent well a couple of just very interesting things to pick on there is the olympics the paralympic games are seen as the pinnacle for all athletes by and large isn't it and just touching on what you said there chris in terms of I think maybe obviously because we're in the moment here in terms of Tokyo and the pandemic affects all of us, doesn't it? You know, it's so visceral. Wherever you are in the world, you've been touched by COVID for whatever degree. But you did say every game has their own challenges. So even, you know, in Paris in 2024 and further afield and things like that, games will be difficult for a whole whole percent. Can you perhaps just relay some of the examples maybe of previous games where from the, you know, on reflection, we think, oh, that was largely straightforward. But when you're there in that moment, all games will have those difficulties and, and, and as you said, various variables. Yeah, so, so the, the, first, the first games that I went to was in, was in Sydney. Um, and so, you know, where, where the Team GB go to Australia, you've obviously got, it's a huge distance. So there's, there's that kind of the, 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 the travel and the jet lag is, is a key one. But then, you know, the particular relationship between the Brits and the Aussies, you know, that bring, brings a certain sense of, right, there's a, bit of, there's a bit of cultural stuff that we know is going to be in the mix when, when we get there. Um, so, but certainly for the, for, with the British rowing team, there was also worries uh, on for that regatta that there was weed growing in the lake. There was some fast-growing weed. And when you're rowing, you don't want a bit of weed to sort of wrap itself around your rudder to stop you steering and slow the boat down. So you've got all of these various things. Athens, you know, the home of the Olympics, but there was a worry whether all of the infrastructure was actually going to be finished and how what it was going to look like and feel like. So you've got this real funny mix of, oh, my God, it's in Athens but what's it going to look like? And will it really look like the celebrated Olympic environment? Beijing, we had, there was real concerns with air quality. 
So I think um, 10 days before the Olympic regatta started, there were quite a lot of the, there was a day when the weather front blew over the rowing lake and there was about a third of the squad came round down, down with some respiratory distress as a function of the particulates that had been in the air that day. Um, so just before the Olympics, you're kind of getting some, well, actually, look, this air could, could be limiting performance. Fortunately, the medics had sort of accounted for all of that. But you get all of these things. You get the unique stuff of London as a home Olympics and the pressure and expectation that comes with that, as well as the worry about, the, you know, how we're going to perform and will we build on the Beijing success. Rio, Zika virus, you know, there's always something that is the story around the games that the media and the rest of the world get really kind of vexed about. But from a performance point of view, you just kind of got to go, right, well, those are going to be the conditions that we're performing in. Let's see who who, who is able to step up and rise up and, and be able to perform independent of these conditions because we don't want to use them as excuses. We want to use them as just context that allows us to kind of go, right, we're going to, we're going to thrive within this set of circumstances. And that's one of the most important psychological qualities, your ability to go in and find out how good you can be independent of how much the, the circumstances match your ideal picture because most of the time you're not going to have your ideal picture that's <laughs> usually going to be something that would remove from that that's nicole that's brilliantly articulated by chris in terms of each games you know on the surface oh you seem so straightforward you think london oh you know you're in your own backyard but then you know emphasizing the home pressure but for professional athletes, you're used to this all year round, aren't you? If it's world champs, if it's European champs, if it's on the tour, there are variables, aren't there? But what makes it or what ups the ante, I guess, in terms of when it becomes the Olympics or the Paralympics? Is it because of the four-year cycle and by and large, this is what we've always been working towards? The other bits have been stepping stones. Is it the allure of being an Olympian and that prestige of saying, right, this is the biggest moment of my career. What makes it just that extra bit more difficult when you know it's an Olympic Games that you're preparing? Um, yeah, I mean, you've, you've exactly, I think, hit the nail on the head there with it being, you know, it's a, a, a once, could be a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of athletes. It only comes around once every four years. You know, you have this massive build-up, um, and, and, and especially in my sport, obviously, the Europeans is very important. The world's is very important. And these are milestones that you're going to want to, you know, hit in your career anyway. Um, but, you know, they're still just building towards towards the Olympics and the Olympics being the pinnacle. So um, I guess you get lots of practice with all the other other events because, you know, you're never going to go through an Olympic cycle being completely fit and healthy for all the Europeans, all the world championships and, you know, everything runs smoothly, everything be perfect. Whether it, you've gone to a competition and you, your bag got lost and you had to wear kits off the rack or, you know, you picked up a, a really, you know, a major injury just before, you know, the week before an event. And, and you know, these are things that I've all been through. So <laughs> I can literally speak from experience. Um you know, whatever whatever it is, you've kind of been through it and you've had to overcome it. You've had to f be faced with that challenge in front of you and, and see how you work around it. So by the time you get to the games, you're, you're almost prepared for anything to be thrown at you um, at that point. Um, so as much as it is, you know, the pinnacle and, and, and you do, you just get ready for it because you, you're so practised by the time you get there. Um, and you know, at that point you've, you've got everything to gain. So no matter what's going on around you, you literally turn it on for that, for that event, for that big day. 
And Chris, from a psychological point of view, as Nakoda's rightfully alluded to, you, you're practicing various techniques, but when it comes to 2020, 2024, there is that just extra anxiety of, right, right, it's so close. Do you tailor that in terms of psychologi- psychological support, or is it largely just trying to not <laughs> treat it as any difference, even though it's so hard to do so, of treat it like we prepared for the Europeans, treat it like we compared for the Commonwealth Games. It is the Olympics. Yes, it's awfully big, but let's not throw away all the work we've done and let's just stick to those strategies. Or do you compensate from, as Nakoda has talked about rightfully, just those extra just nuances that make it feel oh, so special about Olympic or Paralympic Games? Uh, I, th- I, th- I think the answer is you do both. You, you ignore the fact that the, it's, a, the, it's the Olympics and you kind of go, right, what would we be doing anyway and what gives us enormous confidence that we, you know, regardless of the level of the competition, we can go in and produce our best performance on demand at a particular point in time. So what, what confidence have we got that independent of the level of competition, we can do that? The other thing is, yes, you do say, right, and it's the Olympics. But I think it's the way in which you do the and it's the Olympics. What do you want to find out about yourself? What do you want to learn about yourself in the context of the Olympic Games? What is the opportunity? What are you curious about? What do you want to sort of um, sort of add to your knowledge of your ability to produce performance on demand, etc.? So um, it, it's that bit which is critical. What do you want to learn about yourself in the context of the Olympics? Because in in, in reality, I was just thinking about it. So imagine. Imagine that every four years on Christmas Eve, you kind of go, you are being promised the greatest present in the history of the world. And on Christmas Eve, you you, you, I go, right, I need to go to sleep because I want to get up on Christmas Day. But you then find out that on Christmas morning, there are any number of people who are going to potentially get down to the Christmas tree first who might get to that present before you. And and that and if they get it, you don't. And so you've got this whole thing of the concern. Oh, this is so exciting! It's the best present I've always wanted. This present. Will I get it? Will I? But you've got all of these questions that actually hijack your thinking about will I get the result, rather than we want questions which are about. I wonder how. I wonder how good a job I can do of showing up in the right way, of bringing my best self, of, of really earning that present, and 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 being able to build on everything that I've done where we get a mindset of curiosity rather than a mindset of answering questions that are unanswerable. It helps us use the Olympics to our advantage rather than, again, I've always talked about, go and exploit the Olympics. Don't let it exploit you because that can happen. I've got to do something different. I've got to be, I've got to be extra special. You haven't, but you've got to accept how you feel about it and what the opportunity is and how you want to learn about it. So that's how I've often worked with, you know, let's get the balance right for each individual. How much do you want it to be special? How much do you want it to be the same? And let's build a plan around that. And Nakoda, for you, obviously Rio, you know, that huge high, your first Olympic Games, we're now five years on from that. What were your main takeaways? As we talked about, obviously, all all the build-up and how different it was and coming out the back of that experience, what was your main physical and mental takeaways from just being an Olympian and, and, and going to a Games? I think, um, you know, after I lost in the second round and it was such a, a tight fight um, against the French girl and, you know, you're watching the clock go down the last 20 seconds and you, you know that this is literally it. Like, you know, everything you've worked for, one day, you know, for a judo player, it's one day, you know, fight number two and I'm literally out of the competition and that is it. You know, you're 
you do, you have a, you know, a massive, massive breakdown. Um, and then I quickly picked myself up um, and I just knew how I wanted to do it the, ne- the next time round. I had this massive reflection of the things that I felt weren't right. I was also really proud of myself as well because I'd, I'd got quite a major injury just the 10 weeks before. The 10 week build up basically was, I spent seven weeks of it just in a, in a leg brace and in the gym. So I, I looked at how far I'd come from not, you know, not being able to really put any weight on my leg to actually walking out on the mat and, and completing two fights. And I was also really proud of myself, but I think going away, I was very critical as well. And I just knew how I wanted to do it the second time round. I, I knew where I needed to move different pieces of the puzzle to make it fit for me. Um, and, and I was so eager to just get back to it. Um, and it was advice from an actual team member who had just said, you're not going to want to take time off, but you need to, you need to take time off. Um, so I actually, well, I had a a surgery booked in, so I definitely had some forced rest, but I also then just, you know, went on a holiday and, and went just down a completely different path for a little bit, um, until I was sort of ready to have my surgery and then get back in the training environment and do the rehab and come back strong. But I'm so glad I did because second time round, it's hard mentally um, and that burnout's real. So, um, yeah, there was was a lot of emotions and and definitely that come down, you know, it's a high, you know, you're building up to something that you might never get to do again. It's one of the biggest things in your life and that's a high and, 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 and there is that come down afterwards whether you win a medal or you don't I think everyone goes through that come down so yeah there, there was there was a lot it was it was hard um but yeah looking back now I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything it was absolutely <laughs> amazing that experience well you've, you've spoken very openly in the past about you know using these setbacks in terms of just you know as using that as part of the journey and bouncing but one thing I want to just really focus in there is when you said obviously when the clock is ticking down because as Chris can allude to, you can plan for a whole host of strategies, you know, how you pick yourself up from disappointment, dealing with failure and things like that. But like you say, on the biggest stage of all, could it, could you have been any, I don't know if better prepared for that moment, but how difficult was it knowing that that was, like you say, you'd worked for it, you'd overcome such adversity just to be there, but largely it was all beyond your control for at least 10, 15 seconds while in that competitive environment, knowing that's it now that's my olympics done and dusted in terms of from the physical performance point of view how hard was that yeah it was really hard i think i i've never i've never fought with such tenacity but also tension as well you know you could literally feel the fingers cracking you know i could feel my opponent's fingers cracking there was so much tension there you know each person wants to win like it's the last time they'll ever do the sport you know like it's life and death so I knew coming off that there was literally nothing more I could have done. There was nothing more. And and I think that was, that helped, that helped to digest everything and to digest the fact that, you know, it wasn't the magical day that I wanted it to be, but I physically had done everything in my power in that build up, you know, to deal with the injury I had and to get there in the best shape as, as possible. I'd done all the work and, and I had literally fought my heart out and there was nothing more I could do. I was just beaten on the day. Um, and yeah, that, that helped me just go away and go, do you know what, if I work harder, if I get better come, you know, the next Olympics that I'm at, we could be seeing a completely different result. 
and I'm sure it's not as easy to say, but you came out of the back side of that and you won bronze at the World Championships. You then went on to win silver as well. So clear evidence of, despite a disappointing result, we're not taking anything away from your achievement there. You were then able to use that as a springboard as regards to your journey. So Chris, how from a psychology point of view, is all athletes will be coming at this different stage. Some will be in their absolute peak. I'm not saying anyone's a passenger, but some perhaps know that this is maybe my first Olympic experience. And, I, you know, it's Paris or 2028 where I'm looking to, really be on the podium how do athletes if you can sort of how can you simplify that process of mentally preparing yourself for all outcomes but then ensuring that once it's all done and dusted on the mat in tokyo or in the swimming pool or on the track that then you are in a good place to move forward into that next cycle yeah so the 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 classic challenge here with with elite athletes typically being very highly competitive (laughs) individuals when it comes to result and beating opponents it, it, you know that that drive to win can actually get in the way of the drive to focus on performance and and so in terms of mentally preparing one it's celebrating and accepting that huge desire to be competitive with with against others and and, and some people are definitely competitive against themselves which drives them but you know that's we we, we have to factor in this desire for the outcome how clear are we about the performance that will give us the opportunity to reflect whatever the result on how effectively did we step into that moment and how well did we perform? Because there'll be many moments when an athlete doesn't perform well, but they still get a good result. You can't take that because you've not, you've not delivered to your own standards, even though you've kind of maybe got the result you wanted. There'll be other occasions where you kind of perform superbly and the result doesn't follow which is a huge frustration. And there'll be other times where we're working towards, right, I'm going to get a really balanced approach to being able to commit to my performance. And when I do that, I'll get the result that it it warrants as well. And it's that ability to have both process and outcome in mind. And I I think listening to Nakoda, what's really important here, some of the stuff that we focused on in the build-up to Rio and that I've kind of done in in the build-up to other games as well is, 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 is the difference between a threat state and a challenge state. So getting into a challenge mindset. So in your mental preparation, what can you do that constantly increases your sense of, I know what to choose to focus on that gives me the biggest sense of control over my performance? Not over the result, but over my, my, my physical state, my mental state, my game plan in my head, the way I talk to my coaches and support staff beforehand. I take control. So that's your first ingredient of getting into challenge. Your second ingredient is about being able to access sources of confidence really compellingly under pressure i know my strengths i know what my qualities are i know what to be proud of i know the strengths that i want to lead with so i'm going in with a foundation of confidence and then your third bit is that curiosity that i mentioned i know i'm curious to find out how well i can take on take take this tactical approach how well i can use this strength how well i can respond to this particular um challenge from the opposition where we've got control confidence and curiosity in pressure heart rate goes up, but the cardiovascular system opens up and that tension that we can feel goes away. Where we have a threat state, we're out of control, we're lacking confidence and we're focused on just the result. Heart rate goes up, cardiovascular system and everything else tightens and we become inefficient in terms of actually how brain and body work together. So what we're trying to do in all of the build-up that we do, all the other events, is learn to enjoy that challenge mindset with greater and greater ease and confidence 
and and that's where I think, particularly in combat sports, but other sports, you get this beautiful state of ferocious equanimity. You are absolutely driven to win, but you've got a state of calm and grace and control over your performance. And Nakoda will know that state better than me because you know that's that's definitely one that comes from the martial arts more than anywhere else. But you've got that massive combative desire, but a beautiful state of serenity and calm and grace and control when it really matters. And that is something that you're really looking forward to being able to get better at as you go through your career. And Nakoda, is it is it right to say that the disappointment of Rio, not to say that you know we were disappointed in you, but for your own personal ambitions and achievements, did that help just provide if need, you know, that classic cliche of the extra fuel to go on and, and prove yourself in in the in subsequent years? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Because I I think I think just listening to Chris there and trying to think back to moments where I felt both situations, I think when I look back back at Rio. Um, I was ready. I fought how I needed to fight, how I needed to fight on the day. Um, I just remember before going out, just looking around in the warm-up area and and all my opponents looking absolutely petrified. And I just had such a calmness about the way I felt. I was just so up for the challenge. I was so ready for it. Um, and, and going out there, yes, there was there was tension, especially in my first fight. I could feel the other girls. I could feel the other girls' tension, and that actually gave me confidence because I knew she was going to be too tense to go out there and actually perform her best judo. And I I actually beat her really comfortably um, in that first round, and and where previously she'd pr- probably be beating me more than I'd beaten her. Um, but I think coming away from that, I knew how I needed to feel on a competition day. I knew how I needed to step up to that challenge and. And I was able to do it for the world championships the year later. Um, But then, you know, just because you've done it once, it doesn't mean you can do it every time. (laughs) I then went to the European championships um, the following year and I was seed number one. And, you know, there was that expectation there that Nakoda's going to do bits today. You know, she's going to come away with a medal. And I just got out there and froze. I just froze. I was so nervous. I couldn't shift that tension from, you know, right up in my athletes will know when it's in your chest and it's in, in it's in your throat and you can't, you feel like you can't breathe. Um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't turn it on and I lost my first fight and I was so disappointed. And again, that was just a reminder of, right, when we go again, we make, we make sure we know how we need to feel. We make sure we tap into how we felt when we fought at the Olympics or how we felt when we fought at that world championships. Um, so yeah, everything for me after Rio was just fuel. I was so determined, um, to, to, to make this, um, Olympic cycle just completely different. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the massive, massive frustration of the psychological side of sport because, because you don't get to a point where you kind of go, it's all right, I've done it. <laughs> I've got my mindset sorted. So actually, you know, for young athletes thinking about, it's, it's one of the most interesting and challenging components of sport is, is tuning into yourself and being able to have that self-awareness and self-acceptance to keep, to keep updating and upgrading how you support the, the mind-body connection. And, and, and you know, the, the outcome hijack can happen in a moment. I can be feeling good, but something happens that was a little bit unexpected and my brain is suddenly asking questions that takes me into that threat state. I've got to be able to be compassionate with that very quickly to kind of go, right, let's get back to where I, where I need to. So there's an acceptance here that you're going to keep searching for your recipe of, you know, mental consistency. And, and if you can do that 
with your coaches, with your support staff, with your teammates, if that becomes something that you can do openly together, it also becomes a lot easier. But the psychology is stuff that we often keep to ourselves. Everything else we practice and develop together. You get on the mat and you practice together. You get you, t- you get the physical testing together. We do a load of this other stuff together. We don't talk about the mental side together. And that's something that if the more you do that, the more you help le- you learn from others and you get more confidence to what your version is, is going to look like. And, and that's, that's what we're looking to do for the young athletes. Let's start to celebrate the psychological side and talk about it in the same way that we talk about the other side of sport as well. 100%. And Nakoda, is that, is that something you can relate to in terms of experience? Because we all hopefully are aware that the brain is such a powerful muscle. You know, it's obviously it is part of the anatomy. But maybe for younger athletes, is there perhaps that thing of, well, I know what I need to do physically. And if I have if I've had a high, you know, well, if I've been working on my psychology, I'll just do the same. But then if you said to someone, well, next year we'll do exactly the same physical program, they'll be thinking, well, what, you know, we need to change things or we need to adapt, don't we? And, and that ability to keep everything on the same parallel so the whole holistic approach to it whether it's your physical training but also your mental training not resting on your laurels to say i've had this high i'll do exactly the same next time and i should be given the best outcome it's about evolving and obviously as we talked about with the pandemic every year there'll be new challenges in whatever fold so it is that ability to sort of always reassess and look for improvements even when you've had very successful times using certain strategies yeah i think um I think if I look at when I was growing up and especially when I was, you know, sports aid athlete and maybe the years just following that, for me, there wasn't a massive emphasis on the mental side of the of the game in terms of like I, I had a, I didn't have a psychologist for the Rio cycle, um, but I did for the Tokyo cycle. And I think that was more because I think as you're kind of coming into your own into your sport, you're learning a lot. Um, you're, you're learning a lot. You're probably losing a lot more than you're winning at times. And there's a lot to go and actually physically work on your, your tactical, your technical and all the rest of it. And, and it always seems like, you know, that there's room for improvement, but as you get closer to the top, it's margins. It really is. And I just had kind of got to the point where it wasn't really about my technical anymore because that was there. It wasn't so much about my tactical because that was there. And actually once you've started to, to, prove to yourself that you are of a level that doubt creeps in that wasn't there before that doubt creeps in like well you know I've I've done it before and that expectations there I need to do it again and um that that for me was why bringing a psychologist in for the Tokyo cycle was such a a game changer game changer for me because I started to feel pressure I'd never felt before and I'd started to feel that expectation that, you know, I'm not just the young one in the team anymore. I'm not the dark horse. You know, people are looking to me and expecting me to perform and I'm expecting myself to perform. And that for me was where psychology was just a, a massive, massive part. And you touched on, you know, taking the opportunity and that was massive for me. It was about going to each event and looking at what I could go there to gain um, and the opportunities that were there for me rather than tensing up and feeling like I can't lose today you know, that just completely shift in that mindset. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely about growing and, and learning and, and bringing new things in. But I just think the mental side of things is so, so important. And if we can kind of bring that in from a younger age in a certain way that doesn't take away from, you know, the technical, the tactical, everything else, but kind of just adds to it, then I, th- I think we're just going to be producing, you know, better and better athletes from a younger age. 
And I think, Chris, that's where I bring you. That, that's the challenge, isn't it? Because for, for a large part during your junior career, you're developing, aren't you? And it says largely times, performance, results. And for some people, it, it may be physically very, extremely difficult to, say, spend an hour with a psychologist in part of a busy week with school and all those commitments. How can they, you know, how can we just drip those initial things in? Because hopefully the dream is you become a full-time lottery-funded athlete and then immediately you have that space in your timetable. But for maybe in their teens or still those who know they've got many years to come, how can they initially look to, because what we don't want to do is off the back of this podcast is someone thinking, right, mum, dad, I need two hours with a psychologist every week. What's your sort of initial intros, just so it's aware and it starts to become a fundamental building block, which has room to develop over years? Yeah, I, I, I think very importantly, you know, all training programs have psycho- psychological development built into them. It's just not labelled. You know, there's tough training sessions that require you to, you know, learn how to kind of really focus and push yourself hard. There's there's challenging training sessions that really push you technically that you have to problem solve and you have to be able to sort of work through, you know, some of the um, sort of sequencing of new moves or testing stuff out. There's a lot of stuff that is built in that is requiring your brain and your body to grow together. But what we don't typically have is someone helping us kind of go, what was your mindset prior to that session? What, how did you think in that session? We, we don't, what we do is we're given the times or we're given a video analysis of here's your biomechanics, here's how the movements change. We, we, we get helped to kind of see the progress in these other things. So I would say without going down the route of getting a psychologist, just start thinking about if I've got regular sessions that I do, what qualities mentally am I developing through those sessions? And let's just keep an eye on how effectively I think I'm keeping my confidence when there's a bit more pressure on or being able to concentrate when I'm tired. Or um, so, so start extracting some of that as well as, you know, what we've definitely seen over the last couple of years and, again, it, it exacerbated through the pandemic is the importance of mental health, the importance of actually sort of, you know, this is a tough gig that I've, I've signed up for. So I'm going to keep doing some self-care. Even at the beginning of the day, I'm going to check in with how am I feeling? What's my emotions? What's my thoughts? And, and you know, how am I progressing? How quickly am I recovering mentally and emotionally as well as physically? If we start building in some self-care, that's stuff that becomes part of the training environment and part of the relationship with your coach and support team. It's not just about having access to a psychologist. So I think just start thinking about, you know, those, those areas because, the bit, the bit that gets me is that if, if you said to every young athlete, look, it's your career, you don't have to do any training. If you want to do a bit of technical work, do that. If you, but you don't have to do any physical stuff either. So don't, you know, it's up to you. You seem talented, do what you fancy. That just would never happen. But we do that with the psychology, don't we? Kind of go, you do the physical and the technical, do all that, but you don't have to do any of this mental stuff. I, I, you know, let's just start kind of going, well, well why, would, why would I choose not to do something that's going to help me get better? And if someone says you are not allowed to do any work on your mind, I forbid you to do it, what would your instant response be if you were being told you're not allowed to develop psychologically? I think you kind of go, well, that's a bit crazy, isn't it? I want to do that work. So, so just start thinking about what your attitude is towards the psychological side and how you just might want to start having more regular 
check-ins and tune-ins around am I growing in that area and then when it feels appropriate start getting the formal work in there you know there's plenty of stuff believe perform we we sort of you know with sports aid you've got access to the believe perform website there's loads of great stuff on there where you can start dipping into it um but you know but but like you know talking with Nakoda and and you know you see the value of older athletes and more experienced athletes they'll talk to you about psych and they'll talk to you about how to how to do that stuff as well so you just start becoming a kind of a bit of a student of it and you know if you can become a bit geeky around the psychology as well then more power to you <laughs> and Nicola, that's something you're a huge advocate of aren't you in terms of that self-care as we talked about at the start of the year you made the decision didn't you due to say like you know Let's just rule Tokyo out for my own map and for my own well-being, my own self-space. I need to take this off the, off the off the table because psychologically, it's all just getting too much. Would you mind just explaining how you were able just to identify and and have that you know that own self-belief to say, look, you know, yes, I'm I'm a professional athlete. The hugest accolade possible is winning a gold medal, but for me, for my well-being right now and arguably my future self and you know i'm going to be an athlete the other side of that you know once my athletic career is over how did you come to that decision to say look at the moment this is too much i'm going to look after myself and all being well i'll come out the other side and i'll be good to go again when the time's right for me yeah i think um i think everyone obviously sees sees the moment you make that decision but you know, people, a lot of people don't see what goes on behind behind the scenes, and and there was there was a battle with like you know myself, me and me and another version of myself. Um, there was a huge battle. You know, there was the, the part of me that that pushes through everything that's hard um, and just keeps going, and then there was the part of me that that was kind of like this isn't healthy. It's gone past the point of being healthy anymore. And, you know, life, there's more to life than sport. And um, just because I'm saying not now, it's, it doesn't mean I'm saying never. Um, and I think when I, when I had that switch go off in my head where it was like, I'm saying not now, I'm not saying never, that for me made it so much easier because I think at that point it was all or nothing. That's all I was working towards. I didn't really have a, I didn't have a sporting plan for after Tokyo 2020. For me, it was I was going to go, I was going to win gold. You know, that was going to be life-changing for me. And and that was it. And I couldn't see anything past that. So when it was literally moved, I couldn't really get my head around it. Um, I couldn't really understand what that meant for me and and how I was going to do another year. And, and with the challenges, injuries-wise, I had and stuff, I didn't really see how I was going to sift through it all and get there. And, and, I, and I thought, well... If I stop, that's it. I'm finished. Um, and then someone was just like, "Well, it doesn't. You don't have to be done. You you can just take a break." And I was like, "Oh, okay. People do that." <laughs> and then you know, making that decision then just felt a little bit easier. Um, and yeah, it was it was hard. It was it was I was in no man's land for a little while, and it was really difficult. But I think once I made that decision. And I, I knew it was the right decision for me. Things just became a lot easier. Life became a lot easier. And, um, I, you know, I, I look forward to getting back to it more than than I did when I was in it, you know, last year. So um, I definitely, for me, made the right choice. And I think, yeah, you're allowed to give yourself a pat on the back. I think looking back now, I'm so proud. And I don't think I'd ever actually been proud of myself before this point. I think when you're in it, you're just so chasing the next thing. You're chasing the next thing. You're chasing the next thing, the next result. And I'd never really stopped to be proud of myself. 
and how far I'd come and how much I, I have already achieved. Um, and, um, yeah, I feel a bit greedy now. I feel a bit selfish now that I was sort <laughs> of not really taking that all in and going, do you know what? You're doing amazing. Um, so yeah, being where I am now in a really, really good headspace and looking forward to the future, I know that I, I made the right decision and it's so strange because I'd be fighting on Monday, uh, Monday come in. So, you know, it's, um, it's a really strange feeling to see the draw and know your name's not in it or whatever, but yeah, knowing that you did it all for the right reasons, it gives me confidence. And a neat segue to that, Chris, is potentially athletes who, for whatever reason, unfortunately, don't get to this Olympic Games or they may never get to those Olympic Games. During this time now, where Nakoda's perhaps alluded to, in terms of anyone who's maybe watching the Games and thinking, you know, that was part of the plan. I was supposed to be there. This was my event. That was my draw. Oh, would that have been my path to the gold medal? How can athletes deal with, you know, sitting back from afar and experiencing what they see as other people fulfilling their dreams of whatever level it is, if it's Euro juniors through to Olympic and Paralympic success, that difficulty of when there's so much spotlight on it, this is what I've been working towards. How can they care for themselves during this tense time when everyone's rightfully seeing, singing the plaudits of their rivals? How, how tough is that? Yeah, I, th- I think I think it is tough. And I, and I think it's, 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 it's really important, therefore, to think about, you know, what's the ongoing self-care that I'm sort of putting in place independent of anything going right or wrong. So actually, it, this this speaks to – so I, having spoken to lots of athletes over the years when they're injured, and then when they're injured and not able to train and compete, they start seeing the dream disappearing, and and they be, it becomes very black and white. It's re- really difficult to kind of see, I don't know how I'm going to come back from this. You know, there's loads of people progressing in the squad. My, you know, I'm not going to be able to get my place – we get really catastrophic in our thinking because you know of, of of what's happened. So what I've always done is just say, right, look, let's just let's just press pause and we'll, we'll. I want to know your entire career story up to now. I want to know what it was like when you were a kid and you started performing and you were just playing and loving this and just enjoying it. And I want to just, I want you to plot the, the journey with me up until this point in time. And now I want to talk. I want you to talk to me about you know what your aspirations were for where this is going to go and how you're going to build that story and create that story and what's meaningful to you. And some of that is about medals and events, but some of that is also about sort of growth and achievement and you know the reputation that you have and stuff like that. So I've always done a, a, a so let's let's take stock and let's just always remember the entire journey and let's talk about what you want the journey to be in total. Because we've still got choice. Because even though this thing doesn't happen now, what are some of the things that are going to be important to you? And as Nakoda said, you start to realize, look at what I've done already. And if I had to stop now, what would be the reasons to kind of have a huge amount of pride and confidence and satisfaction? But given that it's not a forever end right now, how do I want to reconnect with some of that stuff and make sure that it is part of the story? Because you know, I think I've talked to lots of athletes in the past about wouldn't it be brilliant if we could just take your 14-year-old you's brain that is just doing it for the love of it and give you that brain on the morning of your Olympic final? And that kid would be looking around kind of, this is wicked. <laughs> I can't believe I'm here. Look at what I'm going to go and do. And you'd go out and play in the Olympics. And if we could do that with also the knowledge and the experience and the expertise of that kind of mature athlete, kind of now we've got something really powerful. And that's that's what we're trying to do with these kind of situations. How, how do we how do we get that story from the past and then help it have relevance in the future, 
whilst also constantly updating and growing and you know becoming ever better at your art and your sport as you go through as well so it's that that kind of perspective given that i think is you know this this is where you'd be trying to help people find the right time and space to to get that full story in place and Nakoda, you were nodding along there as Chris was talking, mm. and I think perhaps relating to your Rio experience, that despite all the trials and tribulations before that, you had that self-love, didn't you, going into those games to think, wow, you know, you're able to reflect and look back on, irrespective of the outcome, what an achievement it is to be here. And did that arguably just give you that sort of extra edge? Because I think a lot of people, we always sit back at these elite performers and we can sometimes say, oh, you can throw a blanket over you in terms of physical performance. You probably know rightfully that, the very best uh, judo players are, you know, it, there's little between them, isn't it? It's literally sometimes how you deal with the enormity of that occasion. And as Chris has talked about, just balancing it between, it doesn't define me, what I've achieved so far, let's embrace that and let's just give this a real good go. Yeah, I think um, you see it a lot, you know, especially in my sport. It's not always the, the best consistent athletes that go out and win the gold medals um on on that one specific day um i mean some of the athletes don't even get the chance to compete because maybe they've got someone else in their country that's that was once you know peg ahead of them and they ended up going instead of them that were still a quality athlete and i think you've got to look at it like it, it is a part of the journey it's not just about the outcome and um just because you didn't get on top of the podium that doesn't take away from the athlete that you are it doesn't take away from your hard work um it doesn't mean that you're not talented you're not capable of of winning that it just you know whatever reason it wasn't your day that day and that's kind of how I felt I felt like I was still an amazing athlete I felt like I still had so much more to give um and even though I didn't win a medal that didn't mean I wasn't worthy of winning one I just didn't win one um and I started looking at things like that and um and I think that's kind of how I went into making the decision about the games this year you know it was a case of I know I'm a good enough athlete you know I I know I have all the tools there things haven't worked out how I would have liked them to but you know that doesn't take away from the athlete that I am and the work that I've put in um, and everything that I, I have done to even have got to the point to, to qualify. So I think it's what's also really important to you. I think for me, medals medals themselves have never been the most important thing. I think I, I learned along the way that the journey that you go on is probably the most important and how much you enjoy that journey. Um, and, and, and medals with no enjoyment it means nothing to me, basically. Um, so I, I knew to do this, I needed to be, that was my promise to myself after Rio. I said, no matter what, I have to enjoy this journey, this journey to, to Tokyo and, um, you know, going to Tokyo. Yep, yeah, I only had one goal. I wanted to be on top of the podium. But ultimately, it was about enjoying. It was about enjoying that process. And um, that decision became a lot easier once enjoying the process was made very difficult due to COVID and due to uh, the concussion I had as well. So, um, yeah, I think every athlete's different. Some athletes, you know, medals is everything and they, and they want that gold. When they have that gold, they want another gold and they want another gold. And I think everyone's different. And I think it's just respecting that as well. I think some people couldn't really understand my decision. And, you know, I, I had athletes say to me, well, I would, I would die. I would, I would go. I'd risk it with a brain injury. I'd just, I'd just risk it, and I'd fight anyway. And and I, I used to get really upset about it. I used to think, oh, you know, maybe I should do that as well. And I, and then I thought, but that's not what I want. That's not why I do this sport. That's not why I started this sport. 
I didn't start this sport to risk a brain injury. I started this sport because I just loved to do judo. And, um, yeah, I, I want to do it for the love of it, not because I'm potentially going to win an Olympic medal um, and, and that be the thing and then, you know, destroy my life after that. I, I want to go and enjoy myself. So, yeah, that's what I'm chasing now. And when I come back, potentially go towards the Paris cycle, that's what I'm chasing. I'm chasing that love and enjoyment because, for me, that is when I perform at my best. Great. And I love the fact that you use when as well. So when I come back as well. So it immediately shows that journey, isn't it, of acceptance and moving on and treating that as part of the development. Another fascinating aspect, Chris, we talked about, obviously, we hope everyone is loving being out in Tokyo, despite the, you know, this bizarre set of circumstances and the protocols that they're living within. But can we perhaps uh, show a bit of appreciation for, for traveling reserves? So for for people, listeners who potentially aren't aware that, you know, for, for all major championships, there'll always be someone who's on a reserve list and maybe even fascinating now an aspect of Tokyo is that the likelihood of a reserve competing has maybe gone up a few notches, hasn't it? Because we've seen with athletes being forced to self-isolate and coming into close contact to that. From your experience of working over five Olympic Games, for specifically athletes who travel as a reserve to a major championships, sometimes just knowing that they're never going to compete at an Olympic Games. Can you talk about how you'd support those athletes psychologically? Yeah, yeah. And I think as we're, as we're talking, I think so. Um, I, I saw something on Twitter yesterday with um, uh, the men's reserves for the British rowing team. So there was a picture of them. I think they were racing today. So the, the spares actually race um, uh, to test the course out, and so they, so they, they they are the one they're the first ones to get to race on the Olympic course, you know, in in kind of a, a test event as well. But having 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 worked with various people over the years, what's been really interesting is I've had conversations with them and say, look, you know, the, the likelihood is you're not going to be racing because actually, even if someone gets ill or injured, the, the a replacement would happen from within another racing boat because you can actually sort of double up and, you know, so that, so the reserves are there to help with continuity of training and sort of, you know, that they'll often be a really important part of the system to keep things going. But we've talked about, you know, the, the opportunity of being able to observe without the pressure of having to perform. And, and even though you, you'd rather be performing while you're here, let's see if we can get competitive advantage from what you pick up from looking at what's going on, who seems to be coping well, what are you learning? How would you be responding? Let's use this as a kind of a live mental rehearsal where you get the opportunity to build on that. And that becomes, therefore, you know, it's not ideal, but you're better being this up close and personal than trying to work it out from home behind the TV screen. So you're getting a really sort of valuable insight. Um, let's also think about preparing and sort of you, if you were going to have to race and you get called on, why are you ready? What are the strengths that you're going to be going in with? What's your game plan? So let's use this as well as, as a live what-if scenario to really reinforce some of the strengths that what happens, what actually happens at the Olympics is you've got to go through that process of how am I going to bring bring the best me and the knowledge that I am going to be performing. Okay, so you don't, you know you're probably not going to be performing, but we want you to know what is the best you that would deliver now if you are parachuted in and you have to do that because we want you to step up and use that opportunity to bring out the best of you so let's go through those processes as well so it's 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 trying to use it in the most helpful way possible seeing it as something that is going to fuel the next bit of the journey and if if i think about i think steve williams was the was the one of the men's spares in sydney he went and won a gold medal in 
um, Athens in 2004. If you look at Alex Gregory, won two gold medals in the men's setup as well. Alex had been sparing 2008 Olympics, I think. So, you know, there's you, you actually look at how, so, if you use this well, it can, it can be a pretty important part of the story, even if it's not one you would want to necessarily choose. So uh, um, th- those things come to mind straight away, Tom. And, Nicola, is that something you can echo with, Nicola, in terms of obviously for Rio, let's take the performance out of it. If you were there just as a reserve and you were soaking in all that atmosphere, you were following the team, you knew all the protocols and how draws were made, there is always something you can take away, despite that difficult headspace of regards to I may not get to fill out my dreams. There's always a learning opportunity that may benefit your next competition in terms of even though it's surrounded by this is the Olympics and everyone wants to be there. Oh, yeah, 100%. And if I even think back four years before Rio, I volunteered at the London Olympics in the judo. So I got to kind of be in and a part of the preparation. Um, But not only was I volunteering at the Games, I was also part of the the team's preparation and the build-up towards the Games and, you know, going kind of toe-to-toe with the the other girl in my weight category and being able to actually watch her on the day that she competed and kind of see it all unfold. That was a huge um, experience for me that I took away Um, and then that fueled me on towards towards Rio. But I think also, you know, um, there was uh, a a couple 63-kilogram girls girls in my actual training centre that were going for the same spot and, um, you know, obviously we know only one of them was going to get the spot and kind of just also being on that journey with them also and seeing how, how that unfolded was was interesting. It was it was tough and I definitely didn't wish myself in that situation. But I think, you know, no one can take away from you the fact that you, you know, went through that process. You went through that Olympic cycle. You've done an Olympic cycle. You've got that in your back pocket. Um, and if you qualified um, and then didn't get to compete, no matter what, you're going to still take away all that experience. Yes, you didn't get to step on the stage, but that experience for the next Olympic cycle is everything you need to know how you want to do it, um, what feels good, um, what's going to get you the best results, what's going to put you in the best mind frame and all the other things that come with, you know, just being able to prepare for a major event, you've got all that in your back pocket. So it's so valuable. And even though it probably really hurts at the time, um, like Chris has just said, there's there's so many success stories there from people who were reserves or didn't quite make the team and then go on to actually do amazing things. And that's a, it's a good example. Sometimes, you know, from the public's perspective, you know, the Olympics come around every four, five, five years, and we ju- we just constantly identify with, well, what's your performance in that moment? That's how we're going to define you. And I think it's so important to embrace all aspects of the journey, isn't it, Chris, as regards to, and, and maybe not get captured to taken away, even if you are competing, or likewise, if you're a reserve or you haven't made it. This doesn't define me as an athlete, does it? You know, this is a huge stage that I want to be part of. But for longevity, for mental well-being, sometimes you maybe just need to take it down a notch. I think maybe sometimes the the plaudits that we do lord on on being an Olympian. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If and, and you know when when Nicola was speaking a while ago and she was sort of talking about it's not always about the medals. I, I do think that's really important. So you know, I, I I worked with Catherine Granger across her career. So five Olympics, four silver medals, one gold. Gold in twenty twelve. The rest of her Olympics were silver medals. Um, 
each so you know there's all there's this nonsense around you know silver's the worst medal to get because it's you know that you know it's you know it's 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 a medal but but actually Catherine's four silvers were all very different so the medal tells a different story the first one she got she went into a boat six weeks before the Olympics and they got a medal by about sort of you know two centimeters and it was silver and they weren't really sure how they got it. 2004, Catherine got another silver in a different boat, definitely knew how she'd got it. There'd been much more kind of sort of, you know, structuring and, and it was deliberate. Beijing, silver medal, they'd been through, they'd been world champions the three years before. So you look at the pictures on the podium, devastation. First one, delight. Second one, this is good. We've turned it around. Third one, devastation. Gold medal in London, brilliant. Um, silver medal in Rio with Vicky Thornley it was just an unbelievable um, finish to an Olympic cycle and it shouldn't have been a medal. So the medals don't tell the full story anyway. It's the story that you have as the people behind the performances and, and how you constantly take on that problem solving of how do I keep moving forward? How do I keep improving me? How do I keep getting myself motivated to go again to put myself in the spotlight to see what I can do. It's it's those stories of the people and their growth and the meaning to them and the people around them, their family and their friends. That That's the stuff that's really, that stays with you. The medals are stuff that you show when you go places and, you know, people get to go, well, they're heavy, aren't they? You know, and I don't want to dismiss it too much because they've got massive meaning to them as well. But the meaning of the, you know, the personal sort of circumstances and what led to it, that's the stuff that stays with you. And that's the stuff that for everyone listening, they kind of go, what, what's the story of your achievement independent of the medals that go alongside it? Because that's what is going to give you the pride, you know, for the rest of your lives. And that's where the media plays a key role, Nakoda, in terms of the Olympics. Again, we can try and play it down as much as we like, but it is seen as the pinnacle. It's the cycle approach to it, the stage and telling those stories to give that moment that extra you know enjoyment that we see resonating through our screens or the radio because we know the journey sometimes what that athlete's had to overcome can you can you can you talk us through that how that relationship with the media does differ in an olympic year and what was that a shock as regards to the first time obviously once you were announced from being that rio was going to happen and how that initial media interest, and then when it was at its height during the Rio Games, how much, how different was that to what you previously experienced? I think, um, I think being in a sport like judo as well, we, you know, it's not the most popular sport in terms of there isn't, you know, all cycle round, we don't have media wanting to know, you know, what's going on and what we're doing. You know, we often get a bit of coverage if there's a, a good result at a, a major event, but other than that. There really isn't much much else, and you do feel like a small fish in a, in a very big sporting pond when you compare yourself to all the other sports. So when you get to somewhere like Rio, or even in the build up to Rio, and you've got interview after interview, and you've you know they're coming round, and and they and four different you know papers want to speak to you, and it's a little bit overwhelming. Um, it's a little bit overwhelming and you have to have that balance. And I think also for me, I had to put a cutoff point. Um, so what, you know, once you get to that point, you, you start to feel like a bit of a diva because you're going, <laughs> actually, it's a little bit too close to my competition or actually, you know, this is going to impact on my preparation here. So actually I don't want to do that. And you can say no um, to certain things um, and exercise your rights in that way. 
Um, but it, it is so strange, you know, there's that, that massive buzz around it. And I suppose it's as much as it, you know, if you let it, it can kind of impact impact what's going on around you. But at the same time, it's amazing because you know that you're about to do something that people want to hear about. People want to know who you are. People want to be there so that if you, you know, you do get a medal on that day, you you can then just completely blow up and it'd be amazing and you kind of get all the recognition that you deserve so I think as long as you use it to your advantage um it's beneficial 100 percent um but I think all athletes have to be ready for that I think going in do your preparation as much as you're doing your your actual physical preparation your mental preparation do your preparation for you know to handle media and and to be ready and to know what you want to say um, and almost rehearse things like, you know, like I, I was rehearsing a lot of my psychology, um, psychology work that I was doing. I would rehearse a lot of that by myself. I would rehearse how I was going to respond to people when they would put pressure on me and say, we're expecting a medal from you today. And I would rehearse my response um, and know what I was going to say before those conversations actually happen. Do exactly the same with your kind of media training, rehearse what you want to say. Um, and therefore you're never caught, you know, caught off guard. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely positives and negatives, but only positives if, if you take control of the situation. And Chris, you, you were nodding along there. Well, how, from a sports psychology point of view, that the media, you know, there's all these variables, isn't there? But by and large, you know, sometimes we never think about it as an athlete's psychology in terms of embracing or, as Nicola's rightfully pointing out, maybe drawing a line as regards the media commitments in an Olympic cycle where everyone wants a piece of you, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. And so there's a, there's a couple of important things. The best athletes that I've worked with, are absolutely superb at making the most of the support team around them. They are, they're, they're just great. They'll use the, the, you know, the physio, they'll challenge the physio to do a great job, and physiologists, psychologists, everyone. But there's usually also someone who is the PR media person. Right, I'm going to have a great relationship with that person because they are my, they're my expert to help me be great at this side of it and to take the heat out of it. So where you have got the support in any, you know, in any place – you know, just kind of go, right, all of this support has been put in place to help me be the best performer I can be. So I'm going to make the most of it. So where, so your job is not to be the best media performer ever. Your job is to be the best athlete. So actually, the media relationship with the person who's helping you out there, right, let's minimize the interference and disruption whilst also if there's something we want to use it for, we'll do that. So I, I, I think that's really important and you know, I, th I think the the other thing is that you can absolutely guarantee that the media will be focused on results much more than they'll be focused on performance. And it, and if you use it as an opportunity to thank the media every time they talk about the result that you th they think you're going to get, say thank you, because actually, you know, uh, we know sports all about results. But for me, I'm judging myself on my ability to do this, perform in this way, have you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what I know is going to allow me to step in there with pride and confidence. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited as to what that might end up with. But you can rehearse a lot of that, as Nakoda said, but the media will want you to talk about, come on, tell us, what are you going for? What medal? It's just like, look, you'll put more expectation and pressure on yourself than anyone anyway. You don't need the additional stuff of that coming in from the media point of view as well. So just, you know, um, just just enjoy that. And and I, and I know some athletes kind of, like to sort of play a bit of a game with it so there'll be a bit of a challenge you know 
can we get a certain word in an interview? Can we use a certain <laughs> phrase? So, so that, you know, they, they'll, they'll just try and make it a little bit light as well, just so that it doesn't feel quite so serious too. So, you know, t- take it on in whichever way is going to sort of add value to you and minimise interference to what, you, what you're really there for. I, yeah, I just wanted to jump in and say as well, the bit that you you get told about but i don't think you can actually prepare for is is the media after you've come off from competing um so you know whether that's you've lost or you know you've got through to the semi-finals whatever it is you cannot get past without speaking to the media um and and that that was hard after i lost at rio i had to pull myself together to be able to you know speak on camera um and that was hard. That was really hard. Um, so yeah, there's also you know that to think about as well. That that actually only ever really happens at the games. So I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be something to stress about in you know if you're a little bit earlier on in your career. But definitely, all them other times kind of prepare you and and you get lots of practice in for for something as brutal as you know having a camera shoved in your face as soon as you've lost at the Olympics. Um, so yeah, yeah. I just wanted to put that in there. Well, it's getting and from a biased journalist perspective, you know, having been in many mixed zones and speaking to athletes after huge highs and huge lows, do I don't know? Was that something you always expected was part of the game, Nakoda? That for argument's sake, you definitely want to do that interview if you'd won your gold or you'd got your medal and you want to. Is sometimes obviously as difficult as it may be, athletes just dealing with the fact that. As a professional athlete in this huge spotlight, I am going to have to give an interview either way it goes. You know, if it's the lowest of lows in terms of your dreams have been crushed, but equally so accepting that if I still want it, you know, I want to get my story out there when I've done extremely well. Is that how you view it? Is it is it as simplistic as that? Um, I sort of see it as one of those things that you shouldn't have to do, but you do. I don't think I'd ever agree that there's a benefit for the athlete um, in it. But, you know, it's it's good to watch. It's <laughs> Everyone wants to see how, you know, that person feels right after it's happened. So I think great for the publicity, great, you know, great for all those other juicy reasons. But I think for the athlete themselves, I, you know, this, to give them a bit of time probably would benefit them more. But, yeah, it is what it is. And I think, do you know what, that's, that's sport. That's part and parcel. You just certain things you have to accept um, that are part of the game. Um, and as long as you accept them and you have them in your plan and you know it's going to happen, then it, you can't, you don't get sidelined. So I did expect it. I did expect it. But yeah, it didn't, didn't make it any easier once it happened. <laughs> and certainly, no, I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting that, like say, knowing it was going to happen would make it easier. And, and as Chris talked about, is a quick win that, that relationship with the communications officer? Because, you know, for someone who works in football, where I'm seeing press officers working with players week in, week out, day in, day out, aren't they fending off things? When the Olympics, it is a little bit more out of the normal, isn't it, as regards to with all due respect for the competitions, by and large, for most of your time, you're speaking to maybe a few journalists afterwards, whereas for the Olympics, like I say, it's not just the British media, is it? You know, it's you, the, you know, if you're competing against certain athletes from certain nations, they want to hear your thoughts if you've knocked their athletes out as well afterwards. So is that relationship you can have with your press officer also a key strategy to help you deal with the games? Yeah, um, I can I can answer that. Um, yeah, I think um, I, can't, I can't, thinking back now, I can't even remember whether 
you were allowed to refuse certain interviews. So I think if it was in the prelims, you were allowed to kind of be like, no, I'm, you know, I'm focused. I've got another fight coming up soon. You know, we'll do it afterwards or whatever. But I don't remember having to deal with that side of it. So there must have been someone else there that was doing that on my behalf. And I think it's just, yeah, it's so good to have that team around you um, that kind of know who you are as a person. They, they know... They can just look at you and know whether it's a good time, a bad time to approach you or, you know, and then sort of fight your corner on your behalf a little bit. So you don't have to do that. You you can just focus on your performance and you can focus on what you need to, to focus on. Um, so, yeah, building building good relationships um, is, is just so important. And, uh, yeah, the other, other benefit to it is, well, if, you know, you're a good speaker and you've given good interviews before. People want to speak to you again. Um, they want to come back, they want to speak to you, and that's good publicity for you as well. So, um, yeah, definitely, as Chris said, you, you use the situations to your advantage um, rather than, you know, the situations controlling you. Great. I think the closing closing stages now, guys, Chris, if we can start with yourself, coming out the other side of an Olympic and Paralympic cycle. So, Nakoda's uh, beautifully articulated in this episode that, you know, not the... It was a down point in terms of Rio, but that fuel was well and truly lit and taken to another level because she didn't quite achieve what she wanted to do. Subsequent success. It's not the case for everyone, isn't it? Sometimes those disappointments, unfortunately, are you know, too difficult to move on. But in terms of self-care, but also moving forward as an athlete, what would your key advice to be after, you know, if you've been to a Games, you haven't been to a Games, but now we're into another another cycle. Is it as easy as that's all happened and setting new goals or, you know, the key thing of learning from whatever the experience was and using that as a positive to go forward. Yeah. So, so I, th- I think what, what you need to think about is the experience that you've just had is going to be something that significantly impacts upon your future memory. And so when you are in that similar situation, again, what is what is the memory that your brain is going back to that is now setting up your reaction to the next time you're in that moment? So what we want to make sure is happening is that these are significant life events. And therefore, it is really important just having gone through that to be able to get some space to process and ensure that you create the meaning of that memory that you want. And it works both ways. I've worked with athletes who got unexpected gold medals, and it, and it was, you know, the unexpected gold medal had, a, had you know, a significant impact upon everything that followed. So it doesn't follow just because I didn't get what I wanted. I need to deal with, you know, the after, the after effects of it. If you're disappointed, you're going to be dealing with, you know, what, what meaning do I want to assign to this experience? How do I want to log it in my memory bank? How do I want to use it? so that my relationship with the next time this comes around is going to be one that pulls me in rather than one that creates, a, a, you know, that brings back those thoughts and feelings that perhaps I haven't dealt with. So having something structured in place, and Nakoda said earlier, you know, her, her, the advice from a, from, a, from a fellow athlete was take some time out, you're going to need it. Go through a period of processing and making sense of it and determining what, what part you want that experience to play in your ongoing story. Do that with friends, do that with family, do that with an expert who can do that, do it with a coach, do it in any number of ways because it is about making sense of a significant life event. You know, from an athlete perspective, 
you kind of put you you go all in to be successful and your identity gets connected to my success is who I am as a person we want to avoid that being an unhelpful relationship and so that's that's where you're going to go all in but you need to go all in with the way in which you make sense of it and take care of yourself coming out the other side because that ensures that your identity becomes much more stable and you aren't a product of your result you're a product of the choices that you've made and and your sense of pride as to how well you've stepped up for those so i think it's a really important point to think about be be as diligent with the kind of the the coming out program as you are with the preparation program going in would you agree with that nicoda you talked about obviously you know despite the difficulties you were you were forced someone said look take a step back let this all sink in and you'll be much better for it and go again when the time's ready rather than maybe resisting the end urge to be right tokyo i've got to i've got to hit the ground running was there anything else that you took away from your from your rio experience in terms of how you would then go on to have great success at future future uh, competitions I think um, just thinking back then that my only regret was not actually having a proper plan for afterwards. Um, And I would 100% agree with that. You need to have, like, everything you do leading up to that is planned, you know, to a T, and then you plan nothing for afterwards. You might plan a holiday or, or, you know, whatever it is, but nothing structured, and it's... um, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. So that would probably probably be my you know, advice to to athletes at different stages when you're working towards a massive goal like that, have a little plan for afterwards. You don't necessarily have to stick to it, but at least there's something there um, that you can relate to or look back look back on. Just so if you do leave and you feel a bit lost, you've got something you can kind of look at and be like, right, well, this is what I plan to do beforehand, so maybe I can give this a go. Um, but, yeah, I think having a plan is so important. I didn't, and I, and I do kind of regret it because it was a really hard um back end of that year in 2016 it was really really tough um and i did pick myself up from it but you know maybe it could have been avoided if i'd had a plan and and, and maybe some of the plan would have been someone is ready to do the picking up for you rather than it all having to be down to you as well so you know it's 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 don't do these things on your own plan to have support and you know you have support on the way in get the support on the way out as well definitely and I guess communication is key with all that, Nicola, isn't it? Not to say that this was, a, you know, drawing slight on yourself then, but the more you are open with your whole array of support staff, aren't you? And you're able to just let them know how you're feeling and any difficulties you may be accounting, the sooner they can look to act because you could arguably say, yes, it's part of a, a Team GB staff member's job to think about that, isn't it? But each athlete's to their own. There'll be some that, you know, will have disappointment in Tokyo. And for them, the best thing is to get straight back on the bike. For others, it's maybe to take two months off. But I guess the key is, unless you're articulating these thoughts and, and letting people in to know how you're feeling, that just opens up the, the, the pathways for a much better support plan for you as an individual. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think um, having that team, having people in your corner um, and working well you, with your support staff is literally literally everything um, because you, you cannot do it on your own. You know, a lot of these sports are individual, but you, you literally cannot do it on your own. You, you need that team around you. Great. And you mentioned plan. So what's what's the plan next, Nakoda? Obviously, this 
absolute game changer of becoming a mother, <laughs> which is extremely yeah. exciting. But you did in this episode say, as long as the edit works, <laughs> when I come back. Can you talk us through your thoughts heading into 2022? Of course, there's Commonwealth Games soon on the horizon. There'll be World and European Championships and, dare I say, at Paris 2024. Yeah, um, my plan is, is to obviously give birth to my my baby girl and then um yeah we're already talking post post baby plan with my team um with the uh, physios and things um how we're going to get back into shape basically and from there make that decision I haven't committed to obviously definitely competing or anything like that it's just a case of taking it step by step um for me I want to get back in shape and see where I'm at see where my head's at as well um and then yeah commonwealths would be a really nice comeback so I w- i'd love to be be ready by then um and then yeah just to hit the ground running really with the paris cycle it's, it's going to be a shorter cycle which obviously appeals to me having done two olympic cycles already um yeah being a little bit shorter but but yeah I, i'd love to get back in the back on it again um and uh, sort of finish what i'd started with the tokyo cycle because um, I did do four years of it, so it just feels, it feels, it does feel a bit rough to, you know, not have that kind of finishing stamp on it to say that I went to the Games. But, yeah, I'd love to go to Paris. And um, and obviously for me, a, a medal's the only reason I'm, I'm really going. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in the, in the next three years. Yeah, well, we look forward to following whatever the next chapter is. We certainly know for foremost, like I say, it will be motherhood. And if sport is still part of that come 2022, we wish you all the success. And thank you for sharing your thoughts and experiences. And likewise, Chris, your experience and insight, it's been fascinating. So, yeah, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Pleasure. Thanks again to Nakoda and Chris for joining us. Such a fascinating lesson and lots of practical advice to take away for athletes, coaches, all the parents and guardians who met, whoever it is that may be listening. You would have heard Chris mention Believe Perform. So now's a good time for me to remind you all, the sports aid athletes and your parents and guardians to make the most of that resource. Believe Perform are the world's leading source of performance psychology, well-being and mental health content for the sport community. And you guys have free access to the support they offer through SportsAid. The online platform has a wide variety of applied and practical resources and includes online courses and training plans. Believe Perform seeks to maintain the mental fitness of athletes whilst also guiding parents and the guardians on how they can best support, encourage and look after their children to thrive both inside and outside of sport. There's also a range of written articles, videos, podcasts and infographics available to support your learning again you can find more about sports aid's work and athletes by visiting sportsaid.org.uk or on twitter and instagram and the handle is at team sports aid the sports aid vault podcast is produced with hogarth worldwide and gramercy park studios and our theme music as always is courtesy of radal riley you can check out his latest releases on spotify Thanks for listening so much, guys, and keep your eye out for a Paralympic special next month. Man, I can't stop. Man, I can't stop.